Prepare to be captivated by the business story of the week, hosted by me, Shaheen Shan. Join us on a journey through the twists and turns of entrepreneurial triumphs and setbacks. Immerse yourself in the narrative and witness the magic that turns dreams into reality. This is Business Story of the Week. All right, what is up, my peeps? Joshua Smithy with another GSD Mode podcast interview where every single week I interview top entrepreneurs, top real estate professionals, and strip top badasses out there dominating their space. And today, guys, we've got another amazing, extremely special guest here on the podcast. I'm really, really excited for just to give a quick background for our guest today. So he is the world's leading Amazon expert, um, an entrepreneur of 30 plus years, had created a billion dollar company with earning over 30, or th- I'm sorry, 350 million in yearly top line revenue by the age of 18, founded his first company at the age of 16, also the author of Billion, How I Became the King of the Thrill Pill, founder of Podcast Cola, the number one podcast booking agency in the nation, also a fellow podcast host himself of Hack and Grow Rich, founder of Amazon Mastery Course, and has a feature film coming out about his life pretty soon, which I'm excited to get into. So I'm really stoked and honored to have Shaheen Sean on the podcast. Welcome to the podcast, my friend. Josh, equally stoked, man. Super psyched to be on. And I appreciate the energy that you bring to this. I imagine if you approach your real estate ventures with that same energy, that that must be the reason for your success. Yeah, no, I appreciate that, man. I, I discovered a long time ago that energy management is, is far, I found it to be far more important than time management. You know, and and it's a comment I get a lot. It's not innate. You know, I used to be almost 300 pounds and morbidly obese, and I had to, you know, go through some big transformations, but I found, uh, you know, being intentional with it to be really powerful. Totally. Love it. Yeah, dude. So so let's jump into your story, man, because you got a crazy story. So let's rewind back to, to you know, usually I all go back to the story that led, you know, our guest down the entrepreneur venture, but, you know, I want to wind the clocks. I mean, you know... It, it, starting back to your childhood, I know that you came to the States at the age of five. So let's wind the clocks, man. Like kind of walk us through a little bit of your childhood and then we'll kind of navigate through your overall journey. Yeah, let's do it. Born in the 1970s. And my family, uh, Iranian Jews, uh, fleeing persecution, left Iran to come to the United States during the fall of the Shah. We came here, my folks were poor, we had no money. In Iran, we were middle class, but coming to the United States, we left everything behind. I mean, we literally ran to the plane. Came to the United States, and my folks managed to take odd jobs. My mom was a secretary. My dad was working at pizza shops and a dry cleaner for a good part of his life, and managed to get up enough money to buy a house. And they bought a house in what was soon to be an up-and-coming area. And pretty soon, uh, I noticed all this wealth coming up around me. Now, we didn't eat out at restaurants. We didn't buy new clothes. Our clothes were all hand-me-downs from stuff that people left at the dry cleaners. We were solidly poor in America, but around us was all this wealth. So I become 13 years old. I started looking around going, dude, where's, where's the path for me to that wealth? I want the freaking, you know, blonde and the brunette sitting in the back of my Porsche driving down the coast, you know, with the top down and the big house. So I went to my folks and I said, hey, I want that. And they they chuckled, right? And some time went by and I was 14 and then 15. And I went to them again. And I said, hey, I really want that. That's what I want, you know, and I've, I've started noticing at school kids go out to eat, kids do all this like fun stuff, you know, people are buying, you know, new cars and all this. How do I get that? I want that life. And my folks, you know, being typical immigrants, you know, look at me for a second and they say, you know, there is only one way you have to become a doctor. And I said, fuck, man. All right, well, let me do that. I'm going to become a, a, a doctor. How do I get that? So I said, all right, well, uh, you know, go talk to Mr. Iruni down the street. All right. So I walked down the street to dude's house. Now, dude had a big house, right? And brand new Mercedes. I was like, man, this dude's living the life. And he comes out and he was not at all what I expected. Fat, bald, like just a miserable fuck, right? And the dude comes out and then the wife comes out. She's fatter than dude. And, you know, it's like, Nothing against fat people. I'm just saying these were miserable people. Everyone's smoking, the dad smoking, the mom smoking, the little kids smoking. You know, is it everyone's smoking? Everyone's miserable. 
and you're looking at him and I, I began to realize after talking to the guy for five minutes, which was not a pleasant conversation, he did not own that house. That house owned him. He had to wake up at five o'clock and deal with this mean wife and the wife had to deal with his meanness and he'd get in the car, but he didn't own the car, the bank owned the car. And then he would go into a job that he hated doing something that he hated all day. And I thought to myself, fuck, if that is what it's all about, if that is the path, I don't want that. So I built, I went out into the world to seek my fame and fortune. I left, I left my family, cut all ties with everybody that I knew. All I had was a car that I had worked all my life to get a beat up old Toyota. And I was just living in my car. And then, you know, I quickly sold the car because I needed the money and I was sleeping on the beach trying to figure out what I was going to do. Somehow I met a mentor. And again, I, I write about this whole story in my book, Billion, How I Became King of the Thrill Pope Cult, which you were right. It is going to be uh, a major motion picture that will be coming out soon. Um, in the next couple of years is soon in the movie world, but they've started production. And um, I got into the electronic music scene, the rave scene, the dance scene. And I started looking around thinking, man, there's got to be a way for me to make money here. There's people who have money. But I started looking around. I thought, oh, the DJs. Well, those dudes are broke. They're playing other people's music and they're barely scratching, scratching by. Then I thought, it's got to be the club promoters. The club promoters are the ones. Nope. They skip out before the party's over because they don't want to pay everybody. They're broke too. But there was a group of people hanging out who seemed wealthy. They had lots of pretty girls around. They had nice cars, nice places where they, where they lived and partied. Who do you think those people were, Josh? Well, I'm cheating just because I've, I've listened to so many of your podcasts. But uh, yeah, I don't know if you want to me to fill in the answer. Yeah, do it. Yeah. So the, the drug dealers. It was the drug dealers. And then I looked back to my childhood. And for a second, it seemed like a really fucking good idea. I was like, yes, this is all I have to do. And in, in those days, ecstasy was the biggest drug. So I thought to myself, man, all I got to do is sell this stuff. I'm going to get the car. I'm going to get the girls. I'm going to live the life. But here's what happened. I looked back at my childhood when we moved here, when I was like just about five years old, I got involved between five and 13 in every juvenile crime possible. We were selling anything and everything in school. And I realized back then, good, thank God I had the self-realization to understand this, that I was really good at making money. I was one of those guys where just easy for me to make money, but, but but I was bad at crime, really bad. We would always get caught. I remember thinking to myself, like, fuck, man, what are you doing? It's like 100% conviction rate for you every time you do something. So I made a commitment <clears throat> sometime in when I was like 13 that like I should not be doing crime. I looked at myself in the mirror and I said, you, sir, are bad at crime. You should not be doing crime. Just make a note, do not do crime. So now I'm standing here at the club, I'm 15 years old, thinking about selling drugs. And it hits me, right? The biggest drug in the world is ecstasy. These guys are out. Nobody has enough to go around. It's booming. But what if I was able to come up with a legal version of this? And that's what I did. I created a legal version of ecstasy. It was called herbal ecstasy. And I'm going to fast forward all the details. I'm happy to answer any questions that you have. But I started getting it distributed through the drug dealers who then became legitimized, got it through the club and underground scene to the mainstream. And by the time I was 18, 19, I stepped into my office. I had 200 employees all of Venice Beach was employed by me. I mean, if you could fog up a mirror, I would hire you. I mean, every miscontent, malcontent, unemployed human being on the planet was working. I couldn't get enough people working for me because we were printing money in those days. I was making the pills for 25 cents. We were selling them for $20. It was a cash business. There was no advertising. There was no marketing budget. It was the hottest new smart drug I think in history. And I walk into my office and all the paparazzi are there, the press is there. 
I'm looking down on my exotic car collection, Ferraris, Lamborghinis. I, I had the new NSX at some stage, which was a really nice car. I had all these cars. And uh, Sam Donaldson, the great reporter from Nightlines, waiting outside to interview me. Montel Williams is sending a card for me to go to wherever. And the news breaks that we made a billion dollars in revenue. And it was insane, mainly because I didn't know how much a billion dollars was. And I was afraid they were going to ask me and I'd be like, oh, shit, I'm asked out because I don't know how much it is. But I had no idea. There was so much money coming in that we literally had duffel bags filled with cash in closets because I didn't know what to do with it all. And that was the start of my crazy career in herbal ecstasy. And again, anyone that's interested, my book is out. It is called Billion, How I Became King of the Thrill Pill Cults. If anybody wants to check it out, it's on Audible. You can get the audio book, listen to it while you're working out. Yep, yep. Oh, yeah. So I, I, I heard you mention on another podcast that at the age of 10, I mean, you were sitting there binging like Napoleon Hill, thinking how to grow rich and, and Wayne Dyer and all these you know, self-help gurus. And you mentioned your mentor in the, the, you know, the, the club space, but I'm curious, did that play a big role as you were interviewing these, these doctors, as you were interviewing, you know, the fact that you had access through books to the Napoleon Hills of the world, you know, did, did that play a pivotal role in going this other path? Cause I mean, especially, you know, you and I are close to the same age. And like back then it was like, dude, you went to high school, you went to college, you got a good job. Now today, I think people have a different perspective on that, but that was so against the grain of what everybody else was doing. Yeah, man. Look, I think if you want to succeed, you got to be able to break down your belief system and to see things in a different frame. Richard Koch, uh, the author of 80-20 Principle, writes about this in his book, Unreasonable Success. Great book, by the way, for anybody who wants to check it out. I'm not affiliated with it. But he talks about people that have reached these levels of success have what he calls a reality distortion field. It was the Steve Jobs thing, right? Steve Jobs would walk into to the design room and all the designers would be there a little nervous and he'd be like, all right, we're going to make a phone. It's going to have no buttons. It's going to have a battery the size of a coin and uh, I need it by Wednesday. And they all laugh and you know they're like, oh, we can have this in five years. He goes, very funny. Now get it by Tuesday. And he walks out of the room and they're all like, what just happened? Right. But I feel like you have to have your own reality distortion field. And that's always worked for me because reading these books, listening to people who've done it before, like I'm a huge fan of Alan Watts. If you ever listen to Alan Watts or if any of your listeners listen to Alan Watts, Alan Watts changes your life. Just listening to his tone. And you can't really read Alan Watts until you've listen to Alan Watts, because there's so much more information in his voice that he conveys. But the fact is that listening to people who've done what you want to do, who are where you want to be, allows you to shift your mindset. And one of the most important things for me is I don't know what I don't know. But I do know that there's people out there who know what I don't know. So I'm willing to delay my disbelief. So like just suspending my disbelief long enough to be able to change my frame, which effectively is, is the equivalent of changing my mindset. And if I can do that, then anything is possible. Yep. Yep. Love it, man. So, okay. So, so you're 16. Yeah. Yeah. Well, before I guess 16, leave home, you're, you're how to sell your car. You're living on the beach. You come up with this concept and this idea, but you've got to be extremely resourceful. Look, I mean, I I've started supplement companies and they're it's the normal route. It's not a cheap route and a path to go down, you know? Um, but you, nothing to your name. You had to figure this out. But at that point, like you didn't know how to come up with product formulation. You had to go out there and, you know, how did you become resourceful to be able to figure this stuff out? Because you had to get very creative with this. Easy. One word. Hunger. Same thing you need in real estate. Same thing you need in any profession where you are selling. And if you are not in a profession where you're selling, you should be. Because we are all selling every minute of the day. The difference is some people are just fucking good at it and other people are not. And it's a skill. It's a learned skill. You can get good at it. 
right? But if you don't want to be good at it, or you don't feel like you're good at it, better go fucking work for someone else. Because the single most important quality I believe that I have and that anybody that I work with on a high level has is the ability to sell. Yep. Yep. So then, and, and okay, at that point though, what, so and going back to being resourceful, okay, again, you're, I'm going to go out there and create this herbal ecstasy. Yeah. You know, um, well then again, I mean, you're trying to go out there and replicate this highly potent illegal drug, this illegal substance and doing an herbal form, you know, so you're going out there and now you're studying all these herbicides and you're, you're having to, I guess, you know, sell these doctors and, and people that are leading their field in that space to be able to jump on the phone with you and give you information, you know, um, um, you know, but how did you again, come up with the, you know, the creative resources, if you will, to put this stuff together, because you need a lab, you need all of this different stuff. And I guess it still comes down to selling. You probably just, you know, recruit friends and recruit other people into the, the process. But can you kind of walk us through that? Yeah, I'll give you, give you one word that'll help you. Hunger. Can't teach hunger. I say that all the time. I was literally hungry. And in fact, when I went out, to get a lead, to get a contact who could help me with a lab or, or, you know, capsule machine or something like that. I wouldn't meet until I succeeded. And if I didn't succeed, that'd be the night I'd literally keep myself hungry. And the reason for that is because I wanted to build that connection, that neural connection. I, I, uh, Dr. Dodge talks about it in, uh, in his book, uh, The Brain That Changes uh, Itself. A uh, really important book. He talks about neurons that uh, fire together, wire together, right? So that means that if we can make that connection, which is what I did, I forged that connection between having a successful sale and eating literally the end of my hunger, then it actually made me want to go out there every day, every minute, and to succeed and to sell. And so what I would do, you know, just in practical terms, is I would find people back then, you know, pulled out, we had this book, people don't understand what these things are, but they call yellow pages. And it had all these numbers in it. This was pre-internet. I'm sure you remember it. And you just start calling out. So I'd get to a pay phone or the community college had a free phone that you could use. And I would start calling people and I'd be like, Hey, do you know where I can get this? Do you know where I can get that? Do you know where I can get this? And when they'd say yes, or they say no. And if they said no, I'd show up at the door and knock. I'm like, are you sure you don't know where to get this? Can you help me get this? And eventually people sensed that in you. People sensed that I was a young kid in my teens and that I was hungry to succeed. And it didn't matter what they told me because I was going to succeed regardless of them and what they said. I was in my own, own world, right? My own reality distortion fields from day one. And I convinced people. I convinced people to front me materials. I convinced people to front me services. I convinced world famous authors and doctors to help me formulate this stuff. And at the end of the day, I succeeded by the sheer merit of hunger. Yep. Yep. Love it. So then, all right. So you, you've got this product formulated, you know, but then in order to scale it, cause you're talking over a billion dollars of revenue in about what a four year span. No, we did a billion dollars of revenue in, in under two year span under. Okay. I mean, just craziness. Right. And, Nuts. and, yeah. and, and man, I mean, you know, like, there's some such a thing as growing pains and, and, you know, sometimes companies implode because of, of too rapid a growth that they can't, you know, handle that, that type of growth. I mean, what, what was that experience like and how did you, because you were able to handle the growth and I'm sure it was as chaotic and hectic as hell, but what was that like and how were you able to, to again, handle such rapid insane growth? A lot of learnings. My biggest philosophy at that time, I'll tell you, is really interesting. I, and I write about it in my book. It's one I like to call suicide margins. And that's that money solves all problems. And when we're in business, our goal is to make money. So if you have enough money, lawsuits can be handled. Um, people who uh, difficult employees could be handled. Uh, product defects could be handled, right? Lack of customers. You can market, you can advertise. So your main job as somebody who's in business and somebody who runs a corporation or runs a company or working for yourself or whatever is to make money. And that was my focus back then. 
And with that said, we had a product that had unbelievable margins, 25 cents to $20, mostly cash business. Yeah. And there was no internet. It was credit card processing was a big deal back then. So the majority of our sales were cash and carry business where people literally would show up with cash to buy this product. So we were in effect really printing money. And that was the only saving grace. I was a 15 year old kid. Everybody and their mom was stealing from me. I would watch my employees come in with like $400 shoes and like $200 glasses and brand new cars. And I'd be thinking to myself, do I pay them that much? I don't think I pay them that much. I mean, everybody had their hand in the till back then. And that's just before all the mistakes that I naturally made and before all the learnings that I had and the cockiness and arrogance that I had of being a kid. You know, when you're a kid and you become that successful and that famous and you get that stardust sprinkled on you that young, it affects you and it affects your ego. And if you don't have the right guidance and the right tools and the right discipline, it can go very wrong. My saving grace, again, was the fact that I was very good at making money. And that was probably the main thing that managed to salvage the business all those years. But any minute in, in those days, we were two feet from disaster. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, because at, le at least from you know, the research that I've been able to do on you and watch, you know, again, binging all your podcasts, you know, from what I could, you know, hear, listen to and see, you didn't have that kind of rock star then to rock bottom that we see a lot of people have. We have to file bankruptcy, lose everything and have to have this rebuild story. But was that to just because you were so damn good at, at creating new revenue and always making sure new revenue came in that even though you had big problems, you were always able to solve those problems and, and rebound and recover before they became too problematic. Yeah, that's right. And sometimes they went terribly wrong. And we had a, a crazy time. You know, I had the government coming after me as a kid. I had attorneys on staff that didn't know what they were doing. I mean, I would show up and testify in front of this committee and that committee. And the industry didn't like us because the vitamin industry was very boring and, and largely ignored until we and maybe a couple of the diet companies came around. And so they were like, dude, let us sell our fucking vitamin C and protein supplements and just stay the fuck away. And then here's this 15 year old kid, no red tape, no one to answer to creating over a billion dollars in revenue and completely disrupting the industry. Think about that. Not only that, think about the pharma companies, the companies that make those little blue pills. What's it do to your multi-billion dollar publicly traded company when some kid can come in in an unregulated industry and take away a billion dollars of revenue out of your pocket? We were not liked by people all across. The people who did love us, though, were our customers. So, so how did you navigate, you know, because when you're talking about like, you know, with the FDA and you know, okay, now they're trying to ban certain substances that you have in your products. Now you're having to reinvent the wheel there. And, and just this constant, you know, go, go, go of, of this reinvention. You know, um, I mean, I, I got to, I can't only fathom how hard that must have been. Like, like, you know, how did you adapt to it and what kept you pushing and not just saying, okay, I've made enough, peace out? Well, good, good thing. From an early age, I was interested in martial arts. And the thing that martial arts really does teach you, I think more than pretty much anything else, is discipline. And also to be able to take a punch and to get back up. Man, I've been knocked out many times in my life. I've taken many punches physically, emotionally, in all, all different kinds of ways, right? But the one thing that I always had is the ability to get back up. Right. I tell my son this all the time. I've got a nine year old and I told him yesterday, too. I said, son, you know, you might lose and that's OK. I prefer you win, but you might lose. And if you lose, that's OK. But don't lose the lesson. And he yeah. really got it. And I think that's really what it's all about for me is even if I'm playing the game and I see it all as a game, the game of life, the game of business, it's all got to be fun. There's got to be some level of amusement to it all. 
Because at the end of the day, none of it is real, right? We all go back to the same, you know, it doesn't matter how much biohacking you do, how much crazy all this stuff you do. At the end of the day, you're going to return, right? You're going to return to wherever we came back from. And I don't know where that is. And you got to have some fun while you're doing it. And if you're going to look at it as a game, if you look at life as a game, again, it changes your frame. It changes the way you look at things. And that's always how I've operated. Yep. Love it. So then you mentioned hunger a couple of times and the power of hunger. Is hunger something that's innate or is it something that can be developed or learned? No, I think you can get hungry, but you can't teach hunger. There's nobody who who's out there who somebody's mentored them and taught them and they've been like, okay, you know what? Now you're hungry. That's not the case. It's got to be something you have in here, in your heart, right? But what you can teach is discipline. So in the lack of hunger, discipline is something I believe that can take its place. So the less hunger you have, the more discipline you need, right? I came from a place where I had the hunger. I literally had the hunger, right? Because otherwise the alternative would have been I would be poor the rest of my life or worse, so I really wanted that. I genuinely felt that hunger deep inside. And that's what drove me. But maybe for my kids, they're going to be little rich kids. They're not going to have that hunger. So what they need to do is fortify discipline in their lives to seek discomfort. And in effect, I believe that that can mimic a similar effect in the body and the brain and the spirit. Yep. So, so as, as a parent... You know, and, and look, we want to be able to give our kids maybe opportunities and upbringings that we didn't have. But, it, man, it becomes that that fine line of, you know, they don't have those same adversities that help create that hunger that you had. And so, you know, you just mentioned, okay, maybe they don't have that same hunger, but I can replace that and maybe teach them with discipline. You know, for for other parents out there, what are things, you know, that that we can do to instill that discipline in our kids? Yeah, I think there's a lot. I mean, I think first, don't fucking talk to them like they're kids, right? I fucking hated that when I was a kid. Do you remember when you were a kid and there'd be that one like lady that'd be like, little Josh, how? And you'd be like, fuck, lady. Like, why the fuck are you talking to me like this, right? Kids know. So you treat them like people. You have actual conversations with them that are meaningful. Even if they don't understand it, they will eventually. And they'll look back on that time. One of the things people don't realize the kids are always recording. That red button that records is always on. So even if they don't understand something in this moment, it'll be playing back for years and years and years. And eventually the translation app turns on and they understand it. So it's okay. The second thing, I think probably the single most important thing with kids, boys as well as girls, get them into some kind of sport. And specifically, I believe martial arts makes all the difference because it teaches you space, it teaches you human contact, and it allows you to understand that it's okay to take a punch because you will be punched in life. Maybe not physically. I hope not physically, but you will get punched in life. If, you, and if you're a boy, you probably will get punched physically. So you, wanna, you want to have that tough skin. You want to build that resilience, that grit in children. And I, I believe you can do that through talking to them the right way and through martial arts. Yep. Yep. Awesome. So then, okay. So, you know, going back to, uh, uh, you know, your business foundation here. All right. So at what point did you end up exiting and selling from your first business? That was probably roughly when I was around 20, just okay. around, yeah, 2021, something like that. Fairly young. Uh, I don't remember exactly, but I exited that. I went on to inventing digital vaporization. Uh, we were the first, uh, I, I exited that company. That was the first vaporizer company to go public, the first vape company to go public. Uh, I am not a proponent of vapes, by the way, for anybody who wants to know, I had the patents on it. I, I, that technology all sprang from stuff that I designed and built. Uh, I exited that company in 2006. And I went on to learn about the Amazon space. And I, I heard about this guy, Jeff Bezos, who was, more nerd than stud than he is now, right? He wasn't like this badass dude. He was like this computer nerd. And we learned about him and the fact that he'd started this platform. I got involved in Amazon. 
And we started one of the most successful Amazon companies in that, in those days to start. And, you know, now I run multiple Amazon companies and we've got one that's just in the process of being sold to a big aggregator. Um, and we're very excited about that. But, um, you know, Amazon has been very good to us. I've learned a lot about Amazon and I, I teach people how to make money on Amazon. If anybody's interested in that, um, they can reach out to me uh, at any time. Um, I'm always happy to, to help people. I've got a, uh, actually a free two-hour course that I'm happy to share with any of your viewers or listeners. Um, and if anybody wants to reach out to me, it's shaheen at podcastcola.com, S-H-A-A-H-I-N at podcastcola.com. If you fire off an email to me, I'll send you my Amazon course for free, just to encourage people to get one additional form of revenue going in their uh, recurring revenue stream. Yeah. So, and and from one of your earlier podcasts, you know, because I mean, man, we get inundated with you know social media ads, whatever about you know how to become you know, these Amazon drop shipping companies and all of this. I mean, that that at least from an earlier podcast wasn't isn't what you're talking about here. No. It wasn't at least, okay. So that's you know, all bullshit. Yeah. yeah. You developed a, a staying in the supplement space. You developed another line of supplements and you just started leveraging the Amazon platform to go out there and, and be your distributor. That became a big game changer for you early on. Right. Drop shipping is a myth and there's some people who are successful at it, but it's not really like all these guys like Amazon gurus or whatever that are like, all you got to do is find a product and then you find somebody who sells it and then you list it on Amazon and you get that guy to ship it to the customer and everything's golden. I did it and I made all this money. Look at the girls in the jacuzzi in the back of my jet. And you're like, what? What? How's, how's that work? Right. The problem with that is that, yeah, there are products that you can you can find. Right. That's an arbitrage play where you're buying it somewhere for cheap and selling it somewhere for less. But a you don't know the guy who's drop shipping it, his customer service. So that affects your account. If he ships it late, if he doesn't ship it, if he ships the wrong product, a defective product, whatever that is. And Amazon is very particular about customer experience. It's everything in the Amazon world. It's what Jeff built the Amazon platform on is reducing friction to the purchasing and, and that. So the other part about it is if you're doing that, and you buying that product from that guy and selling it on, on Amazon, what's to keep the other 4 billion people out there who, who are doing that stuff, doing the same thing? Nothing. So the market gets saturated very fast. And unless you've got some like miracle thing that only you have access to, it's very difficult. Instead, what we teach, and, and my course is called FBA Seller Course. So you can check it out on fbasellercourse.com. Uh, FBA standing for fulfillment by Amazon, or you could just reach out to me again. It's Shaheen at podcastcola.com. Shaheen, S-H-A-A-H-I-N, like Nancy, at podcastcola.com. And I'll share share my course that'll explain it all to you uh, for free. I, I'm not selling it at all. So you can get that uh, two-hour course for free. But what we teach is how do you build actual value? How do you sell things that people actually need on the Amazon platform and how do you become a storyteller? So you can tell such a good story that your products stand out. And then how do you build that brand out where you take ownership of that brand and then two, three, four years down the line, sell it for 10 times the earnings of the company, right? And that's what our people learn to do. And that's what I teach. It's very different than get rich quick. Right. In fact, most people will fail, just like in any business, you know, real estate, restaurants, whatever it is, most people will fail. But if you can give yourself every advantage possible, every leg up possible, that's where you really can take advantage of those little tiny unfair advantages that get you beyond the competition and make you win. Because really, the difference in any of these industries between the person that succeeds and the person that fails is really just a hair, right? The guy that comes in first on the 100-meter sprint and the guy that comes in third, was it? it's like fractions of a second, right? And it's the same thing in these businesses. And from there, I went on to the company that I have now, which is Podcast Cola, and we are the leading podcast booking agency. And if you want to, we could we could talk about that and the importance of podcasts or whatever you want to talk about. Yeah, yeah, no, I'd love to, man. So yeah, I mean, because that that's a different space than 
I mean, I get leveraging Amazon to go out there because he got into the nootropic kind of smart drug space. And that was kind of in alignment with businesses that you started at the age of 16. Um, uh, but then, yeah, jumping into podcasting. Um, I mean, what led you to that? Why, why podcast? Yeah. So during COVID, we were all at home wondering like, what the heck's going on? And I was like, man, you know, I've had this book like inside me about my story forever. And everybody is calling me, telling me, hey, why don't you write a book? I got Hollywood agents. I've got all kinds of people, my friends that are celebrities. They're like, hey, you should really write this. So during COVID, I was like, all right, well, I guess we're all locked down. So let me write it. So I wrote my book, Billion, How I Became King of the Throw Pill Cult. It's on Amazon. And I thought, man, everybody's now telling me I need a film deal. So how do I get a film deal? Well, traditional media, you remember back then, all the news was talking about was COVID, COVID, COVID. So I thought, man, there's got to be another way. And podcasts were booming. Everybody and their mom was in the house, in their home studios, building out home studios, saying, let's build out this podcast. I've been wanting to do a podcast forever. Let me build it out. And some of those shows were really great. And they have really dedicated audiences. So I thought, okay, if I can get on enough podcasts, I could blow this up. Well, I hired an agency. They weren't very good. They got me on like a couple. And then I started doing it myself and I got a few more. And I was like, man, I'm better at this than that agency, that big PR agency I hired. Let me see if I can figure out what the commonalities are, right? And I realized that all these shows have certain things they want to see. There's, it's just like Amazon. There's a language of sales. There's a language that you speak to be able to get booked on these shows. And I have a book coming out, by the way, called Podcast Famous. If anybody wants it, reach out to me. Uh, I'll get you a free copy. Uh, and I'll send you out a free copy too, Josh. I think you might enjoy it as well, being a, a constant podcaster that you are. But so I hired a couple people. And I said, hey, let me train you how to do this. And let's put a company name on it. And as our company started gaining reputation, I realized that, hey, the fact that now I'm represented by an agency that's reputable and that we're using this algorithm, I got over 300 podcast interviews. And I got contacted by a producer, an Academy Award-winning production company in New York. And they said, hey, man, we love your story. How can we make this into a movie? And I hemmed and hawed and said, mm, I'm not sure I really want this for the movie. And then I was like, hell yeah, let's do it. <laughs> so we did it. I got my film deal. And then everybody started coming to me saying, this is amazing. How are you doing this? Can you do this for us? And I was like, well, sure. I've got some bandwidth. And we started bringing on some clients and people start coming to us. And to this day, we've done no advertising. Our business has grown by word of mouth. And basically what we do now is I've got a team of amazing publicists from South and Central America and also located here in Los Angeles. And all we do is get people booked on shows. So the importance of podcasts like yours is that you are not vouching for yourself, okay? The show host gives you authority because Josh, you researched me, you read up on me, your audience respects you, they respect what you do, they spend their time and energy listening to you. So when you speak about somebody and you vouch for somebody, that's 100x the power of them talking about how great they are themselves. So that's the first reason. It's powerful to have somebody else, especially somebody of good reputation, interviewing you and asking you questions and introducing you to their audience. Secondly, you get to use their audience, which is great, right? All the people listening to the show may be interested in what I'm doing as well. They might reach out to us at Podcast Cola, whatever, right? Thirdly, podcasts live forever on the internet. Today, you might not be interested in multifamily real estate, but in a year, somebody might mention it to you. You Google it, you find the GSD podcast, and here I am, and we start talking. So they live forever, and it's the highest ROI, the highest return on investment of any marketing and advertising out today for very little money. You can start getting on podcasts, telling your story, which brings me to the last important thing about podcasts is the way that you sell, the most powerful, most impactful way to sell anything is through story. And through podcasts, people can hear your story while they're at the gym, while they're taking the kids to school, while they're going for a walk, while they're going for their run. And not only that, at the end of a podcast, they feel like they know you. 
Joe Rogan was talking about this the other day on his podcast. Joe was saying, hey, you know, I walk out into the street and I'm having dinner with my kids. This dude comes by and sits next to me at the table while I'm having my burger. And he's like, he acts like he knows me. But that's just the fact of podcasting. The reality of it is you feel like you know someone. They've been in the car with you for an hour. A TikTok ad, an Instagram ad, all those things are good, but they're passing, they're fleeting. You forget about it. The next dancing girl that comes on TikTok, you forgot about the last one. But a podcast lives forever. And I feel that it's it's becoming more and more a part of the culture. And you're on the cutting edge, Joshua, for what you're doing with GSD mode. So I really commend you for that. I think that's amazing, particularly the more niche you go. And now we have the ability to break down into very small niches. There's over 8 million podcasts out there. So no matter what niche you're in or you're interested in promoting, we can get you on those shows. And you can start connecting with the audience. You can start connecting with the show hosts and double, triple, quadruple your business in a very short amount of time with the least amount of money. Because for me, everything is about leverage. How do I exert the least amount of pressure to get the maximum amount of results. And that's really what podcasting is and what podcasting can do for you. So that's my podcast rant right there. For, for those that might, you know, listen to that and be like, well, like who, who really wants to hear my story or man, I got a small local business. Um, you know, I mean, a lot of our listeners are, are, you know, real estate professionals. So maybe they got a, a local team or a brokerage, you know, an XYZ city, you know, but they're like, well, you know, again, small, they're like, it might make sense for, you know, somebody like you, Shane, that has this, you know, amazing story, all this amazing success is you got a global, you know, products and brands, you know, what, what are some benefits and maybe some limiting beliefs as to why people may not leverage this powerful tool? Yeah, and look, it's not right for everybody. If you're just one guy and you got a local ice cream shop, it's probably not going to be right for you, right? Unless we start getting you on the local ice cream podcast. And even that, there's limited amounts, right? But if you're a real estate professional, I deal with real estate agents all the time, right? And those guys like to have their pictures on bus stops. I'm not sure what that does for anybody, <laughs> right? Except having kids like draw a mustache and a thing on you. Like you're, you're basically begging for somebody to draw a mustache on your face, right? That is the basic, basic thing that happens when they put their picture on bus stops. But Getting on a podcast makes you an authority in your niche. So I've got a guy who's like the Malibu, Calabasas, Malibu, you know, of course, the, the very rich enclave here in Los Angeles. Where, where are you, Josh? Uh, Phoenix, Arizona. Phoenix, Arizona. Okay, right. So the Scottsdale's on the beach, right? It's Scottsdale on the beach we got. So Malibu, you know, being one of the most, you know, famous and important stretches of land out here, this guy's a real estate agent there, right? But there's three and a half million real estate agents selling this like super high, high-end real estate. So when he walks in to see a client, they're like, all right, Bubba, what makes you different than all the other yahoos standing out there? I got, I got them all lined up outside. What makes you different? I got girls in short skirts. You've seen all those uh, the real estate shows, right? Girls in short skirts and high heels. I've got guys wearing Versace suits. Everyone's driving up in Ferraris. We got all that stuff here. They're all brokers, right? What makes you different, right? But the difference is that you've been on shows and you share that with them. You say, hey, you know what? I just did a show talking about Malibu real estate and how you can get more for your property. Let me share that with you, right? And they realize that you're somebody who's been interviewed. You're somebody that's got some buzz. You're somebody who's got some press. You are building your personal brand. And again, in that way, it's the single most effective medium right now. It might change, you know, some AI thing comes up that changes things. But right now, doing podcasts and being a featured guest on podcasts, I think is, is single-handedly the most impactful thing you can do to double your business in the next year. Yep, yep, love it. So then- all right, so um, you, I'm just going to go back to just some different things that I've heard you say in the past that I, I'm just you know curious to ask you about. Um, all right, so you, you know you talked about how in the beginning, and I heard you talk about like in UFC fights and in MMA, you know one of the most dangerous people to face is that person has nothing to lose, you know, and and in the beginning, like dude, you had nothing to lose, but now you're in a position where you have kind of everything to lose, you know. Um, what then? how do you position that, that different situation where now you have everything to lose, but still to give yourself that advantage to go out there and win big in business? Yeah, it's different. So look, man, when I was young, I had nothing to lose. Again, you can't teach hunger, 
So now I'm comfortable. I've got a nice real estate portfolio. I've got all the cars I need. I got all the properties I need. I've got a beautiful wife and a, a beautiful family. And like, life is good for me. So am I going to be laying all that on the line for a single bet? Probably not. What you lose is the ability to do that, to take those super high risks. What you gain is the wisdom and the knowledge of how you did it. So what I can tell you is that you can take me and drop me with zero anywhere on the planet. And in a very short time, I'll be back to exactly where I am now. Because I have that knowledge. I know enough about myself to know that I have the ability, the wherewithal to do it. Do what I want to do that? Probably not. I'm pretty comfortable. I like where I'm at. And comfort can definitely be a negative. But also, I have a lot of discipline. So I understand that if I had to, I could do that and it wouldn't be a problem. It's just like being in a situation where and we talk about this in martial arts. People are like, well, you know, you do martial arts. Isn't that, isn't that violence? And I say, no, it's the opposite of violence. We do martial arts because we don't, we don't want violence brought upon us. Or we don't want to bring violence to anybody else. If you ever look at martial artists, they're the chillest dudes you will ever meet. Because they know what it takes to get into a fight and what a fight actually is. Most dudes who you talk to, ah, oh, yeah, I'm going to kick your ass. You're like, okay, how are you going to do? Oh, well, you know, I'm going to do this. You, you realize they've never been in a fight before because that's not how fights go down. So we train martial arts so that we don't have to fight, right? It, it, it teaches you the discipline to be able to walk away and say, hey, man, I'm sorry. It's cool, right? It's cool. I don't need to fight you, right? That's all right. I can walk away because I, I, I know what that's like. Similarly, in business, you build that discipline. You build the discipline where now I walk away from more deals than I take. But the deals that I take, I can get into full on and have that understanding of who I am. So at the end of the day, for me, it's about self-knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. So I heard you say that um, you know the two two of the most important things, and and I might be taking this. I'm kind of paraphrasing here, so forgive me if I I state it. You can correct me on on if I misstate it here. Um, but two of the most powerful things that anybody can can adopt when it comes to selling and and not just selling but having success is on authenticity and influence. Yeah. You know, can you break down the importance of those and what you mean by that? Yeah. So look, it's, it's very similar. I like to parallel it to dating, right? So back in the nineties, you had all these like dating gurus, right? Who like told dudes how to get girls. And it was like, okay, so you walk into the bar and you do this thing and you say that thing and the girls all come watch me. And the guy would go out there and they'd be like, oh my God, that's amazing. Sales is the same way. Sales works in, in the same uh, type of psychology. The fact is nothing sells better than not selling. And what I mean by that is that just be a real fucking person. When you go out there into the world, just be genuine and offer real value and come from a place where you can put yourself underneath people, right? Put them above you like you're looking up and, and try to learn from them. Understand that every, everybody has challenges. Everybody's got something that they're going through in their life. And your reason for being there is to bring value and to bring service. Forget about the money. Just be a real person. Be authentic. And that's the greatest form of influence possible. The fact that you genuinely come from a place where you don't care if you get the sale or not. What you care about is being able to help this person. Now, that doesn't mean that you, you shine. You don't actually go out there and get what you want. Quite the opposite. What that means is that you go out there and you get every deal possible because you know that you've already vetted internally what you're doing as being something that's useful, being something that brings value to the world. And when you go out there, you're actually doing a disservice to that person, not letting them get to know you. Yep. That's the yep. ultimate influence. Yep. Love it. Well, so then, you know, I heard you talking about chasing excellence, not money. Yeah. You know, and, and I know that that might sound like the obvious from the statement, but it, it, I mean, can you go into it? Like, what does that mean to you? Um, and what kind of power has it had on your overall success journey? Young people, especially younger generation come to me often and they're like, dude, what do I have to do to make $10 million, $100 million? How do I, you know? And I'm like, whoa, you're like, that's the wrong question to ask. 
because you're just going out there to make money for money's sake. That's just stupid. What, why would you do that? There's no fun in that. There's no glory in that, right? What, what, what there is fun in is having a mission, having a purpose, finding value and finding how you can help other people. Like genuinely, what's the value that you can bring, right? And getting the message out. Like with my podcast agency, my thought when I talk to people about podcasting and podcast cola is, hey, you know, I want to help you get your message out in the most efficient way possible. And if I can make that be a home run for you, because you're struggling right now in getting your message out, getting eyeballs out, getting famous, let me help you do that because I figured out how to do it. I can help you do it. And if I'm not the right person, I'm going to give them every resource possible on their call with me to help them do that. I'm not on that call to sell them. I'm on that call to help them. And I'm doing them a disservice if I don't give them my presentation in the best way possible, which really is, is learning about them and asking enough qualifying questions to lead them to the decision that I'm the right choice for them. And if I can't do that, then I'm going to help them any way that I can. Thank you so much for giving me the time to learn about you. And I, I don't say that in like this cocky, like, thanks, man. I'm, I'm saying that in a way, like genuinely, that's the place where I'm coming from. Yep. Love it, man. So then how, how are you doing on time? I am good. I've got three minutes. If that, okay. if that I hate to, I hate to rush you, but they got me on a three 30. So. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I knew we were going long here. So, um, well, Shaheen, and I'll make sure I have links below for anybody that's watching and listening this, um, but for anybody that's watching, and listening, if they want to continue to follow you, get in touch with you, I know you've already uh, you know, dropped some of these links throughout the podcast, but where's the best place for people to be able to follow you, whether it be on you know, social media platforms that you're on, website yeah totally so so guys if you want to learn more about me and my work and my history you can just go to shaheenshan.com we'll include the uh, link in the notes below or if you want to book a time to talk to me if you think you'd like to be a guest on great podcasts like joshua's podcast here gsd mode or other amazing podcasts reach out to us at podcast cola i return all emails myself directly people think that's crazy it might take me a minute but i will get back to you so if you want to have a conversation with me i love meeting people i genuinely love getting to know people and hearing people's stories so if you want to talk to me and see if being a guest on podcasts is right for you just reach out podcastcola.com uh, P-O-D-C-A-S-T-C-O-L-A.com or shaheenshan.com. And uh, let's see if we can help you out. Yeah, awesome. And those watching, listen, anywhere that you're at, if you just scroll below or scroll below in the description of the show notes, we'll have all those links there. And Shaheen, I truly appreciate you taking time out of your day to be here, man. This has been a lot of fun. Joshua, it's been amazing. Thanks for having me on, buddy. Yeah, 100%, my friend. And those watching, listen, as always, we truly appreciate all you guys' support. Thank you again. Keep crushing it, and we will talk to you soon. Peace. All right, so here's the thing. We try to get a little bit better every day, but we can't do it without you. So if you like the video, make sure to like and subscribe below. And if you have any comments, just leave them in the space under.